Welcome to Creativity School. This is the podcast all about how to tap into your creativity and get your greatness out of you and into the world. I'm your host, Grace Chan, and each week we'll get lessons on how to start the thing you've always wanted to start and learn the tips and strategies you need for how to be awesome at it. If you're one of those people that feels a calling to do something, make something, or be something more, if you want to start shining your light and share it with the world, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 16 of Creativity School. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is a wonderful way to listen to your books the way you listen to podcasts. I love using Audible. I use it almost every day in addition to listening to my podcast. And if you want to keep the feeling of inspiration and energy going after you listen to an episode of Creativity School, I highly recommend you check out listening to a book on Audible. And the book I want to recommend today is Liz Gilbert's book, Big Magic. If you haven't read it before, highly recommend it. It's so good for your creativity journey. She talks about a lot of the things we discuss on this show. Most of all, what is creativity and how to get over the blocks that are in your way to creating the stuff that you want to make. So if you want to get started with a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial, head over to www.audibletrial.com. Audible is spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E. That's audibletrial.com slash Grace Chan. You can download my recommendations or another audiobook. There are over 180,000 books to choose from, and you can check it out for free. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Before we get into today's episode, I got to give a quick shout out to Creativity School Facebook group member Patricia. Patricia has been sharing these really awesome doodles she's been creating called Zentangle. I had never heard of this before, but I think it's sort of like this intuitive drawing process and you end up with these very elaborate, beautiful doodles. I can't believe she's making these. And she said she's been taking classes for the past six weeks and just having so much fun doing these entangled doodles. Patricia, virtual high fives to you. That's so cool that you took the initiative to take these classes and even cooler that you shared this with the group. So thank you so much. And if you want to come join us over at the Facebook group, that's Creativity School with Grace Chan. And you can find the link down in the show notes. Oh, and really quick, I don't know how many of you listen all the way to the end of each episode, but at the end of each episode, the way I wrap up is I ask the guest, how do you want people to remember this episode with you? And usually the answer to that question, I find sometimes the most valuable message that they have to share on the show because they're basically wrapping up their entire message and purpose for being here in a couple sentences. A lot of times those sentences end up becoming the show quote graphics that I make to promote the show on social media. But if you're one of those people who don't listen all the way to the end, I highly recommend you stick around and try to make it to the end just because that question that they answer at the end is usually really, really good and just a very good takeaway. So just wanted to put that thought out there. All right, my friends, we're just going to jump right into getting to today's episode because it is so good. And I know I say that every week, but I work hard to bring awesome guests on the show. And today's guest, DL Sharon, is amazing. She is here today to share so much valuable wisdom about how to start a side hustle from your creative passion project. DL is a business coach and she helps her clients build their side hustle businesses without feeling stressed or salesly. And what I love about DL's story is that guess what, you guys? She has a day job and it's a very demanding day job, but she was able to match her nine to five salary within three months of starting her own side hustle business. As you guys probably know by now, I started my career as a side hustle before it was even called side hustling, actually. That's how long ago I did it. It was back in 2008. So I started my own side hustle business. I have been working my own creative business on my own for 11 years now. And let me tell you something, I learned so much from DL in this conversation, it kind of blew my mind. 
as we were speaking, I had multiple aha moments and I just kept thinking, my God, I thought I knew everything there was to know about how to build a side hustle. And this interview is teaching me so much. And whether you want to start a side hustle to make extra income or you want to start a side hustle to have it become your full-time job like I did, this interview is chock full of information. Like you might want to take notes on this one or listen to it a couple times. That's how good I think the information in this episode is. And we talk about everything from the very first steps you should take when you want to start a side hustle to making money from your creative project. We talk about how you should take that idea and actually validate it with people. We talk about time management. That's a really, really big one. I had a crazy demanding day job. DL has a demanding day job. How the heck does she manage to do everything she does, have a side hustle that makes as much as her day job? How does she do it? She kind of blows my mind when she breaks down all the things she does, particularly regarding setting goals and productivity. And she shares about the mindset you need to be a successful side hustler, which as you guys know, I love talking about mindset. And she shares with us what she thinks are the basic foundational mindset practices you should have to be able to build a side hustle that is sustainable and has longevity and can ultimately bring you money. I hope you find this interview as illuminating as I did. And without further ado, here is DL Sharon. DL, thank you so much for joining me on Creativity School today. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. It is an honor to be here. Oh gosh, I'm so excited to have you on. We have been talking for months trying to get you on the show and I am so happy today is the day it is finally happening. Yay! (laughs) Um, You are an amazing coach helping people with their side hustles and you have a podcast all about side hustling. You've been able to match your corporate salary with the income you're making with your side hustle coaching business. I mean, everything you're doing is so cool. And I have to say, you know, we started this conversation months ago. I think it was like January. It's April now. And I just looking at your Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, your business has been booming. (laughs) Yes, yes. It has been a whirlwind and I've just been so grateful, so, so grateful to have all of my clients and all of my listeners and my podcast has doubled in downloads. It's just been insane. Oh my God. I am so excited to dig into all of this with you today. But the first question I always start with is what did you want to be when you grew up and how do you see that connecting to what you're doing today? Oh my word. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This is going to sound so strange, but I'm going to be honest with you, Grace. I used to look at the Discovery Channel, and I am an early riser, have been since I was a kid. So before my whole family would wake up, you would see those, you know, weird shows on the Discovery Channel. So one of them was about a midwifery clinic in Florida and just documenting how babies were born. And so I grew up, it's so strange, but I grew up saying that I want to be a midwife and I want to help bring life and support women through one of the most difficult things that they could ever go through. And I'm not a mom now. And so I still don't even have that lens or that perspective, but I ended up being a social worker. So that is my day job. I work Mm. as a social worker in a college. Um, And so it's not as traditional social work would be, but that's kind of my corporate lens. I serve my students in that setting. And so I definitely see all of that helping profession, serving others, and then definitely as a coach, all I do all day long is serve. So I serve my clients, I serve people on my podcast and my podcast listeners, on my Instagram, I'm always serving and giving tips. And so I kind of see that theme throughout my job and my career, but then also in my business. I love that answer because most people, I think nine out of 10 people do not do what they said that they wanted to be when they grew up, but there's always still like a connecting thread there. So it's really cool to see that your heart of service as a kid is still leading you with everything that you're doing now as a coach and as a social worker, which by the way, I did not know you were a social worker at a college. So what does that mean? What are you doing on a day-to-day basis? Yes. So it's, again, not the most traditional setting, but I work with three scholarship programs. And so these are scholarships that, you know, offer a full ride to this university. And so I'm just their support. And I work with one population in particular, they're students from sub-Saharan Africa. And so they've been brought from the continent of Africa to the United States to study. And so 
as you can imagine, their whole world is just flipped upside down. Um, a lot of them come from humble backgrounds and they don't come from a lot. And so it is really a life-changing opportunity for them. We give them everything. We give them a new laptop, we stipends, all these opportunities. I live in um, North Carolina, so we took them to Washington, D.C. for fall break. And so just seeing their faces plastered to the bus, like seeing skyscrapers for the first time and it is very rewarding work. It is It is a lot. It's draining. It's time consuming, but it's definitely rewarding. Oh, I'm smiling listening to you tell this story because that sounds really rewarding. And it seems like the other work you do is also very rewarding too. Like you are guiding people and helping them. And it might not literally be like a skyscraper, but it's sort of metaphorically like that for what everything you're doing. So I think that's really interesting. And then how did you go from that to getting into what you're doing now with your coaching business, which is a side hustle. Again, I'm going to be very honest throughout this whole entire interview, Grace. I started looking for side hustles because of my student loans. I loved going to undergrad and graduate school. I went straight through and I got my bachelor's and my master's, but I came out with a whole bunch of student loan debt. I'm a first generation college student. My parents didn't know anything about saving or what loan should I take? What loan shouldn't I take? And so I just came out with a whole bunch of debt. And there is this grace period between the time you graduate and the time your loan starts. So I told myself, with the salary that I'm making as a social worker, even though it was more because I'm in this higher right corporate setting, I still would need an additional income. So I would still need either a second job or a business. I told myself, well, I'm going to start a business. I just went out on a limb. And so I started looking for some opportunities and network marketing actually came into the mix. And so I joined Beachbody mm. And it was a wonderful experience for me. I learned so much about entrepreneurship. And a lot of people in the coaching niche specifically start out in network marketing. It's a good like gateway drug, quote unquote, for entrepreneurship because you're not necessarily having to create a product. The product is already there, but you learn all of the entrepreneurial skills like marketing and social media and just mindset work consistently. Network marketing is a tough, tough business. You hear no all of the time. Um, and so it kind of builds that resistance that you need as an entrepreneur. I didn't network marketing. It wasn't the best fit. I really didn't feel aligned to the product. And so I actually started into productivity and time management coaching because a lot of people said, how did I do it? I worked 77 hours a week in graduate school. I had a very long commute. And a lot of people just said, DL, how do you manage this? I'm engaged. So I'm planning a wedding and trying to be a present partner. I have friends, my family is in another state. So I often travel to see my family. And so people on the outside were like, how are you doing all of this? So I started going into time management and productivity coaching. And then from there, a lot of people said, well, I want to start a business too. You were able to do two businesses, network marketing and this time management coaching. So that's kind of when I really fell into my passion and just my calling and being a business coach and helping specifically side hustlers start and sign clients and actually see an income come in. Side hustling, it has an interesting connotation because some people can just think you're just doing a passion project on the side. And I know some of your listeners might still be in that place where they're just creating things on the side. They have hobbies, but really taking it to that level where it can mean something for your finances. It could mean something for your family. You can start to knock off debt. You can save up for that nice vacation that's on your dream bucket list. Having a side hustle can do so many things for your community, for yourself, for your family that a lot of people just don't realize. I just love everything you just said about side hustles. I completely agree with you. I've shared on the show that I started my business in 2008 as a side hustle. And I personally love side hustles because of everything you just said. But also, I find that it just makes things less scary. You know, like you're taking these little baby steps while you still have an income. Maybe you can even save some of that income. You can test the waters to see what the market is like, to see if people are interested in your product or your service, um, see what they're willing to pay for it. I mean, it's definitely hard, I think, because of the time management issue. But especially if you're somebody who is risk averse, or you're afraid of taking that plunge. Side hustling for me personally was just such a great way for me to start my business. And I think that this is not for everybody. But if you're one of those people who wants to take your creativity and turn it into something that makes you money, I think side hustling is just such a great opportunity for that. And Deal, I love everything you said. But what do you think then is like the 
very first steps people need to take to start monetizing that passion project or creative thing that they have? Yes. So two things I would say, and exactly to what you were speaking to as well, testing the market and just seeing what people want and also just being aware of the things around you. And so for me, for a while, when I was stepping into being a business coach, I just sat back and I looked and I say, what are people necessarily struggling with? What is a gap in the market? And so I worked with a photographer. And so I asked her and I said, as you're stepping into this photography sector and this industry, what do you notice that's missing? And so what we call this in this business world is market research, looking and seeing what is there a gap in. And so I'll give her an example. For her, she said, well, for expecting mother, they want to do a maternity shoot, they want to do um, newborn shoots, and then they probably want to do yearly shoots for when their child grows up. But there's no like one package for that. They usually have to book a maternity photographer and then a newborn photographer and then a family photographer. But I think I can just do that and have that be my sole package. And so she really stepped back and looked at the market and said, what is there a need in? And so I would say that is the first place that I want my new clients or the new people who are trying to start a side hustle to really dive into. The second portion is just to tell people. Tell people what you do. There is so much power in sharing and saying, hey, and it's so scary. I completely understand. It is petrifying. But saying, hey, this is a new thing that I'm trying out. You know, I'm really starting to take my photography business seriously. Or I'm really trying to make my prints more mainstream and get them out there and start an Etsy shop. Whatever that is, talking to people and getting their reactions and building those contacts would be the first two steps, I would say, for a side hustler. I love that you are coaching people to look for those gaps in the market. I was going to ask you if you are coaching and giving suggestions on what their service is that they have, because I think that that is the difference in how to make money, right? If you are making something just because you like it, that is what I preach, right? I'm just like, do what your soul wants to make, just get it out. You don't have to care about what the end goal is. Just make it, right? But now the difference in monetizing that is looking for the need and the gap in the market, as you said, because you have to know that there are people out there that want your product or your service if you want to make money with it. Like, I was just wondering, like, okay, if somebody came to you and was like, I make the best crochet chopstick holders <laughs> ever. And it doesn't exist on Etsy. I did my research. It doesn't exist. This is the business I want to go with. Like, do you ever get that where people come to you with these very personal things that they make or offer? And it's like, kind of like for you, um, <laughs> I don't think there's really a market for that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's what I want people to really understand. Like when you're making money, it's not about just what you like anymore. Like you should always love it at the end of the day, but now it's like servicing the market. Exactly, exactly. Like, do you ever have people that come to you with a product that is, or a service that is so niche and you have to kind of coach them into finding those gaps and massaging what that concept is? Yes. And so one thing about being a business coach is I'm not an expert in every single industry. And so what I'll always do is ask my clients and say, can you show me some evidence of this, right? And so if mm. I go back to that example, my first thought was, well, there's probably a reason why there's a certain maternity photographer or a newborn photographer versus a family photographer. But then she came to me and she showed me the examples of the conversations that she was having with these women who were expecting that there is a need for this. Because exactly when she first said that, I was like, mm, I don't know if you should just package everything in a one. Like, are you an expert in all those three? But she said like, no deal, there really is a need in this. And so, yes, I do have those conversations often with my clients. And I say to them, and this kind of puts the perspective back on them. Okay, if you have this idea, validate it. Show me the hardcore evidence. Screenshot some things, some comments that you get on Instagram of people saying, oh my gosh, I've been looking all over for this or something like that to validate that this business idea is worthwhile. And then also you have to keep in mind is you might have those few people who are like die hard. Yes, I need this. But is it 
something for the masses, right? Or is it just a niche novelty item or something that only a few people need a few times a year? And are you as a, as a business owner, okay with being in the novelty area? Are you okay with only having a few sales around the holidays because your item is a gift idea and not something that people need on a consistent basis? And so it's also up to the business owner. If that really fulfills you, you might be okay with just doing that special project once a year, two times a year, or having it be a gift item around Mother's Day. But if you want to make a sustainable business, you might have to incorporate things that, yes, you enjoy, but also there's a high demand for. Ooh, that is such, such good advice. I really like how you mentioned the seasonal novelty items thing, because you're right. You can't make a long-term sustainable business that can pay your bills on a full-time income you know, to keep that in mind, because I think for some people doing just that seasonal thing with whatever it is they love could be fulfilling. But for me personally, I wanted to be able to quit my job in advertising and be able to go full time with what I did. So I know for you, is that the goal with most of your clients? They want to be able to go full time with what they're doing? Yes, some of them, but it always surprises me. I am just a huge component of entrepreneurship. I think having your own business is the greatest thing on earth. And even my fiance would disagree with me. But even my clients and most of them who have wonderful businesses, they say, you know what, I really like my corporate job. I just want to have my side hustle to pay off debt. Or I just want my side hustle so that I can, you know, some of them are going through horrific things like IVF. They want to be able to fund IVF or they have other things in their life that are important to them and that they want to keep their full-time job for a number of reasons. And so they're using their side hustle income to have the things that they truly want. But a lot of my clients also want to go full time. I eventually want to go full time. That's always going to be the goal for me. Yeah. And just to rewind a little bit, when you were talking about the way you encourage your clients to go out and find evidence and validate their idea, what do you think is the best way to do that? I mean, it's basically like you're encouraging people to do little focus groups on their idea. Do you think social media is the best way to do that? Fantastic question. And so I will see in so many Facebook groups, people just asking market research, do you struggle with this or this and why? And unfortunately, you can't really get a lot of depth or you don't know the background of what that person is struggling with. Or if they say just three words, that's not enough for you to base a whole business idea around. Mm. And so this is something that I actually teach my clients to do. I call them coffee chat calls where I used to advertise, say, hey, I want to schedule five coffee chat calls with people. I'm going to send you a $5 Starbucks gift card and it's literally going to be we're going to have a conversation. This is the very important part say to them, I don't want to sell you anything. I literally just want to have a conversation with them. And you would record the call and you would have a lot of different questions that you want to ask them. So everything around price to what they're struggling with, to what do they think would solve their problem, to what have they tried, but it hasn't worked. Just soaking up as much information from your ideal, quote unquote, ideal client or ideal customer that you can. And then going back and listening to that video over and over and over again. And that video will provide you so much information and so many different directions that you can go. You can take something that your ideal client or ideal customer said and go make a social media post about it. You could include it on copy for your website. You can include it on the packaging of your product just speaking to that person and soaking in that information can do everything for your business. I always say, talk to a real human back and forth, Mm. not just, you know, they fill out a questionnaire or a survey or you stalk them on social media, create a little bit of depth and a little bit of conversation to really get to their pain points and why they particularly need your product or service. Like Grace, let me ask you, why did people want pictures of animals? What, what would you say? Oh my goodness, you're putting me yes. on the spot. <laughs> uh, I would say, oh my gosh, you're such a good coach. I would say, uh, you know, especially back in 2008, I did not see the kind of pet photography I wanted to see out in the world. So at the time, it was either very stock photo, like, you know, you go to Sears or JCPenney. I think like maybe now, ironically, that would be really cute if somebody wanted to jump on that. But at the time, it was not ironic. It was not cute. I didn't want portraits of my dogs that way. And then if they were outside, 
they were very just stiff and posed. And for me, you know, I was an art director. And so I wanted images that felt very lifestyle, very natural, very art directed, where the animals were living in their space at home, in their environment that really tells their story. And at the time, also, I want to mention, there wasn't very much people and animal photography. I remember my very first client, I'd always ask people, by the way, I'd say, do you want to be in the photos? And everyone's like, oh, no, 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 this is about the dog. I had one guy who was like, "Uh, yes, I want to be in the pictures and I want to be in like all of them. And I was like, great, because no one ever says yes to this. So I took the pictures, I put them on my blog and they blew up. And from that day forward, nobody said no. They were like, yes, I want that. Give me that. Like 50% of the pictures that. So to your point, DL, I did everything that you are, you're saying, you're teaching us. It's I saw a gap in the market and I was my ideal client. So I didn't really even focus group because I saw that there wasn't a need for what I wanted. So then I went out and I made it. Exactly, exactly. And most people are like, I was my ideal client. My podcast, I cover all the topics that I wish that I heard two years ago. And so, right. Me too. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, most people are their ideal clients, right? But then also in part of your story, you surveyed what was already out there a lot. You talked a lot about what was already out there and what the market was lacking. And so you did a lot of research yourself. You didn't just have an idea and run with it. You did a lot of the back end. And so you might have didn't, you know, talk specifically to people, but you really studied what was already out there, which is something that I always recommend to do as well. Oh, so good. And I want to say to even go further with that for brand identity, logo, even the name of my business, I did the very same thing that you're talking about where I looked out there. I always tell people, go out and do your market research. And it's not because you want to copy. It's because you want to do exactly the opposite of that. If everybody is zigging, you want to zag. So at the time, everybody was using their names for their businesses. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to call my business Shine Pet Photos. As my business grew, this is sort of tangential. I changed it to my name. But, you know, I was very aware of what is the stuff out there right now? How do I get my business to stand out from the top? You know, what is it that I'm doing differently that if somebody sees my business, they're going to want to choose me? So even the name of my business, the look and feel of my business, the way my website looked, I looked at everything that was out there to really help inform how I was building my brand. That's so good, especially like you're saying with branding. Branding is a lot more important than I even thought when I was first starting out. I was seeing a lot of advertisement for brand designers and folks who, you know, had that creativity lens when it comes to framing and going in a different direction for your business. And I said, why would I spend all that money on a brand designer? And then I said, oh, wait a minute, I'm charging decent amount for my coaching and they should have a cohesive experience throughout my whole entire brand when I'm working with them. So branding is a lot more important than people want to give credit for. That is very true. I say branding is basically the personality of what it is that you're offering. And you really want to be able to convey that personality just by somebody looking at and experiencing your brand. And this is a whole nother topic, right? But, you know, with branding, I mean, like even just the font you choose conveys a tone, you know? So I actually haven't shared this on the show before, but I started another side hustle business a few years ago to sell kimchi. And I did so much market research on all the kimchi businesses out there because I designed the logo. And so I wanted to know what are the different kimchi personalities that are out there and how is mine going to be different? So even choosing the type for my business was very, very intentional because, you know, some type conveys femininity, some type conveys masculinity, some type conveys like, like sort of it's, you know, outdated in an uncool way. So some type looked very like 2000s tech era, even choosing the type for your business conveys so much. And it's very important, like you said. So branding, super important for your business. It can be pricey. So I don't want people to feel like, oh, I can't afford a brand designer right now. And I can't start because of that. No, because you can start in little baby steps and just be aware of the feeling and personality of the brand that it is you want to make, and then just make small choices to help you convey that story. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I bootstrapped everything when I was first starting out. I made my first website. I made my first business cards. God help me. I made a logo on Canva, never going back to those days. (laughs) 
But yeah, no, I bootstrapped everything. But the thing is also, Grace, you also don't need any of that. When you're first starting out, I always tell my clients who are worried about having the perfect website or logo or this or that, sign three clients first, serve three customers first, get money in the door, validate your idea through a paying customer or client, and then you can go worry about a website or you can worry about having the perfect highlights on Instagram. Get some money through the door, get some clients and possibly some referrals from those clients first, and then you can start to worry about the bigger aspects of business. Love, love, love that advice. A big message on the show is just be scrappy. Don't let not having money or resources stop you. So that advice is so valuable. Thank you for saying that. And I also want to validate your coffee chat calls idea too, because I've never heard that before. And I think that is such a great idea, especially when you said record it and go back and listen to it, because you're really connecting with the needs of who your ideal client is. What is your recommendation on even setting them up in the first place? Like, do you think people should go into like a Facebook group? A lot of different ways. It could just be people you know who already have the service. So if I go back to my client who's a photographer, she probably knew pregnant women who she can ask or coworkers or friends or friends of her friends or an aunt or family members, whatever that is. So you can talk to people you already know. You probably already know somebody who could benefit from your service or your product, Instagram, Facebook posting as well, or saying, Hey, if this isn't you, can you share this with somebody who will qualify? So social media, Facebook groups as well, I would say that too. But again, I would always tap into the power of your own network and community, people who need your product or service, it's probably right under your nose. So always tapping in with a network that you already know of. Ooh, I love this. Okay, so, so far you have told us too, if you want to start monetizing your passion, you want to find a gap or a need in the market, and you want to start telling people about what you're doing, even if it's scary. I find, by the way, most people are going to be more supportive than you think that they will be. And the people that aren't, it's okay. They're not your people, so don't take it personally. And then focus group your idea. Reach out to people, reach out to your ideal client, and sort of get a temperature for what they think about it. I think that is all all great. And so now let's say we do all that. We still have our crazy ass busy day job. How the heck do we find the time to do all that while you're working? So for me, by the way, I was working in an ad agency, which is a notoriously stressful job. You are working crazy hours. So I would come home at night and work and I would spend all weekend working. I got to give props to my husband, who is my boyfriend at the time now, for dealing with that. Because I think altogether, I was probably working 70, 80 hours a week just to make the side hustle work with my crazy job. But for you, DL, I just want to read this Instagram post that I read and I was blown away. And I have to ask Mm -hmm. you how you did this. You shared you worked 50 hours at your day job. You commuted 15 hours. You booked three podcast interviews. You coached for two hours on client calls. You showed up on your Instagram stories every day. You did a live stream. You connected with your business friends and you did it all without working on the weekends. I'm like, how the heck did you do that? And please teach us. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, Grace, you touched on a lot of points. So hopefully I won't forget, especially about the relationship aspect. That is a important aspect when you're starting a side hustle that not a lot of people are talking about. So I want to make sure I get to that. Don't let me forget. I'm going to write that Um, down. That's good. Yes. Yes. But for time management. Okay. So like you said that working on the weekends worked for you and especially because you were meeting clients in person. And so that probably was a better option and just logistically made more sense. But for me, I have this beautiful pretty much 100% online business. And so I can take client calls for people all over the world. I just wrapped up a client in London. I have a client in Brazil, just all over the world, just coaching them. And so I will say that has been like the biggest factor for me that's been in my favor. So what I do, here's my secret. I do one thing in the morning and one thing in the evening. And that's it. Monday Mm. through Friday. And I do have to push myself. I will have to wake up sometimes 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I will have to stay 11, 12 in the morning that evening. I do have very, very, very long days where I may not go out uh, with my girls on a Thursday night. I may have to tell my fiance, hey, can we catch the rerun of our favorite show? I have a client call. I will have to have those boundaries, but 
the flip side is my weekends are completely free and I take a big break from both work and my business. So that's kind of the flip side of it. But I really broke it down and I said, what are the three goals that I want to get done this week? So this week is going to be a very client call heavy week. I maybe want to write some social media posts and I want to start thinking about my next offering. Boom. Those are my three goals. I'm not worried about Pinterest. I'm not worried about launching something new this week. I'm not worried about starting a challenge. I'm not worried about a whole bunch of podcast interviews. Those are my three goals and I stick to it. Then I break down those goals into 10 mini steps and then I scatter them one in the morning and then one in the evening throughout that week. And so really, if you look at it, that's about 10 different opportunities that you have to get something done an inch closer to your goals. And so that's how I'm able to do it. And I stick to it. I really try not to work heavy on the weekends. I need a break, especially with my job. And like you're saying with the ad agency, my job can be very stressful. Sometimes my students have crises that are emotionally draining. And so I need to take a big step away from everything. And that is what I use for the weekends. And so it does take discipline, though. And it does take having some hard conversations with my friends and my family. Like my mom, she lives in Washington, D.C., and I live in North Carolina, she likes to FaceTime me all the time and uh, we have a very tight relationship. And so I've had to have some difficult conversations and in the day and age of self-care and work-life balance and boundaries and don't work yourself into the ground, I kind of disagree with that. I look at the long term and I heard this quote that says, if you grind down and buckle down for six months to two years on something, on anything? What if it's your health? What if it's you being a better parent? What if it's you being a more present partner to your spouse? Whatever it is, it can completely change the trajectory of your life Mm. because you're giving a lot of concentrated time on a certain goal that you're not going to have to give that concentrated time later down the road. I was just say you nailed it on the head because I am all about work-life balance. But I think especially when you're starting something, you know, the word hustle is probably one of my least favorite words in the English language. Yeah. But I think when you're starting something, you do need hustle. You need discipline. You need that rise and grind mentality because like you said, you put in that effort now and then six months, two years, who knows later down the line, you're not going to be working that hard. Hopefully, hopefully by that point, you will have more work-life balance. It's something that I really strive for. So my work schedule now is nothing like what it was when I started my business in 2008. Exactly, exactly. And like you were sharing in your example, you worked ridiculous hours when you were managing your full-time job and your business. It was tough. You probably had to make a few sacrifices and have some conversations with folks. And you mentioned your boyfriend, who's now your husband, and having those conversations and looking at him for support That is something that a lot of side hustlers are not talking about. Really, a lot of people in the entrepreneurial world are not talking about is the impact that having a side hustle can have on your relationship. For a while, especially, and here's the kicker, when I wasn't making a ton of money, my fiance really had a hard time understanding why I was waking him up, not intentionally, but getting out of bed at five o'clock in the morning and locking myself in our office Mm. and then, you know, not being able to spend a lot of time going to the gym or as much as he would like together in the evening. And so I had to have some conversations with him. And I said, look, I'm doing this for us. Like, I know it's going to be tough, but I promise you it won't be as tough. Now with the income that I'm making, we don't have those conversations (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Well, most people are, they need to see a little proof in the pudding, right? And they need to see some momentum. But at first, I'm not going to lie, it was difficult. It was difficult. And so I just wanted to also say that and let people know that it's not always pretty. You will have to have some tough conversations with people, but the payoff can be enormous. I'm so glad you brought that up because honestly, it is so important to talk about. I have actually thought about bringing my husband on for an episode and just have a discussion with him on what it's like to be married to somebody who's trying to build their own thing. And we've been together for a very, very long time since 2003, but I'm not going to lie. Like you said, when I was working full-time and building my photography business, that puts such a strain on our relationship. And we broke up for the one and only time for 45 minutes because of this. And 
it's hard because, you know, he was really doing a lot of the support at home, the grocery shopping, the cooking, the cleaning. And I kept saying to him, I am doing this for our future. I cannot see myself working this schedule in an ad agency as a creative director and being a mom. Like, I just don't see how that's possible. I am doing this for us. And fast forward years later, we have a kid now and I get to be so present in his life and it's amazing. So it's like we laid those seeds, we got over that hump and now we're reaping the rewards of it. But like you said, it wasn't easy. So do you have any advice for people on how to navigate that? Like, is it just have really transparent conversations about what's going on? Yes, it is have consistent conversations and reminding them why but it's also, and, and Grace, I might get some flack for this, or it, this might not work for everybody, but I had to kind of review myself and I had to let myself know that he may not see what I see and that's okay. Mm. I can't always force my dream to be his if he can't see it. It's my dream. I can see it. I can see the potential. I'm the one who's learning all this stuff about business and I can't expect him to see something that it isn't his yet. And so I had to kind of remove myself. And so I was a little bit more protective of when I would talk about business mm. or when I would share my goals or dreams, because I knew that where he was in his mind and with the things that he knows that it didn't make sense. And so I had to protect it. And so this goes, if you have an unsupportive family member, maybe it's your mom, maybe it is your spouse, maybe it's your friends who make fun of you for declining on the umpteenth time for moving night because you have to work with a client. That can go for a lot of different scenarios that it's okay if people don't understand. That is okay. And don't waste a lot of energy trying to get them to understand. Stay in your lane, stay motivated to do what you're going to do. And then eventually the benefits and the results will kick in and it'll start to click for people. Like the same, I had to have similar conversations with my mom. She just said, I don't understand why you went to school for so long to start <laughs> a business. And I said like, it's okay. I don't expect you to understand now. You'll soon understand. And now she's coming here for Easter. Yeah. Next weekend. And I'm going to be able to treat her out to dinner from the money that I make on my side hustle. And so I would say be protective and don't engage in conversations that you know won't be productive, but be as open as possible when it comes to why you're doing this. That is such good, valuable advice. I'm really, really glad that you brought that up because you're right, you know, on this journey, some of us might experience not feeling support. And I think it's really, really hard to be doing something that is such a passionate thing for you and to not feel that love and support here for your friends and family. Me personally, you know, I've had friends that I've lost who didn't understand at all what I was doing. But it's just a great reminder that not everyone is going to understand. And the biggest thing is for you to just stay committed to what your vision is and know that you might not get the support from everywhere that you want, but you have to stay committed to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And I do want to just rewind a little bit too, when you were talking about writing down your goals and chunking it down into 10 steps, 10 little tiny things for each goal. I thought that was really valuable too, because I think what happens is a lot of times is that our goals just seem way too big and unattainable. And so breaking it down into those really bite-sized actionable things, especially when you're busy, especially when you have a day job, it's like, you know, if you're like, have a lull at work for a second, you could check off one little thing, right? Or on your lunch break, if you have time for five minutes, you can check off one little thing. So I really appreciated that advice as well. And I wanted to ask you, is that something you do on a weekly basis? You create a goal list for yourself, three goals every Monday. How does that work? Yeah. So if I'm stepping back a little bit bigger, I have 90 day goals. And so that was something that I've learned just throughout business and realizing that I cannot do everything in a month. I cannot, you know, grow the podcast, grow my Instagram following, sign three clients, get my business out there, serve my current clients. I can't do all of that in a month. And so having 90 day goals where I have a set focus for the 90 days. So to give you an example, January through March of 2019, my 90 day focus was to fill up my group program. That was it. I was not worried about growing Instagram, growing the podcast. The podcast naturally doubled in downloads, 
just by producing good content, but that wasn't my focus. And so that was my sole focus and I exceeded my goal. And so I realized the power in just creating something that you can buckle down on and then breaking that down into many steps. So say, okay, so if I want to fill these 10 spots, that was my goal. Or if I want to book three photography clients, or if I want to sell a hundred crafts on Etsy, what do I need to do in order to achieve that? And staying Mm. super clear on that. Shiny object syndrome is so real. It is so real, especially- What is that? Can you explain what that is? Of course, of course. It is where you see something new and you want to try it out, especially in business. So if we go back to the Etsy shop example, maybe you can see that, oh, I can run ads on Etsy. That's something cool. Or maybe let me put in a new product. Somebody messaged me through Etsy and they said, oh, I would love to see you do this. Or what if I, oh, I just discovered Pinterest. I can put everything on Etsy on Pinterest. Let me see if I can do that. It's a beautiful thing. And then also a curse. There's so many things you can do in business. You can be on a lot of different platforms, market to a lot of different places, go to a lot of in-person events. There are so many things that you can do in business, but that creates a shiny object syndrome where you're like, Ooh, shiny object that looks cool. Or, Ooh, I want to try that. So shiny object syndrome is real. People can get easily distracted in the online space in business and entrepreneurship. So staying close and as straight to your 90-day goals as possible is going to be really important. And that is where you're going to see the most growth in your business. And then from those 90-day goals, breaking them down and saying in month one, month two, and month three, what do I have to do? Okay, within month one, what are the goals that I have to meet? What are the benchmarks that I need to meet within the weeks? And then that is how I break down what I need to do day by day. That is, you're kind of like blowing my mind right now because I don't do this. And as you're talking, I'm like, wait a minute. I think I have shiny object syndrome. Can you use your example of your goal was to book out your latest program? How did that break down into what you just said? What did that look like for your 90-day goals? Absolutely. And so actually, this was when I was starting to buckle down and get a lot more serious on Instagram. So I had this goal in January in 2019. I said, I want to start a group program, a group coaching program where I help women start their side hustle and sign clients by the end of this group coaching program. And so that was my goal. I said, I want 10 girls in it. And I was so stern on that. I want 10 girls. This was back in January. I said, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get 10 girls into this program? So I reverse engineered. So I said, first... I am going to serve them. I'm going to put out valuable content that's going to connect with them, that's going to teach them something. I'm going to be very consistent with uploading podcast episodes. I'm going to serve them. So for the whole month of January, I didn't pitch. I didn't sell. I was just focused on getting people to my Instagram where I do and still do. Uh, many business trainings. I give tips. I showed my life as a side hustler to show other people that it's possible. I did that just for the month of January. And then I started to name drop and kind of introduce the program in February, but I launched the program Mm. mid-February. And so that was when I was saying, hey guys, I'm opening this program. Send me a message if you're interested. We'll get on a sales call and we'll see if this is the right fit. So I had lots of conversations with people around that. And then March came along and I said, okay, I'm about halfway my goal. How can I double down and really solidify this? So I continued to do more outreach. I doubled my presence on social media. I really got more consistent at producing more content and letting more eyes on my page. And that is how I was able to ultimately hit my goal in the last weekend of March with 10 incredible women that I get the honor to coach. And so it's kind of taking like a wide angle approach on your goal and saying, okay, what do I need to do this month? Okay, well then what do I need to do each week in order to hit that? But then that also just gave me some focus and that allowed me to put other things down. And so I eventually really want to buckle down on my email marketing, but that wasn't the goal during January through March. Another thing that I want to do is I want to have a 2019 goal of being on 50 podcast interviews. I didn't necessarily focus on that during those 90 days. So it gave me permission to put things down. And so often I feel like entrepreneurs, we 
feel like we have to do everything or we're not going to have a successful business. We have to tackle everything, cross everything else, be on all the different platforms. But with the 90-day goal concept, you have permission to put this down and say, this is really interesting to me, but this isn't a priority right now. So it gives us that permission to buckle down on the things that matter, which is you know creating revenue, earning a profit in our business, serving others, really focus on the things that matters and leaving other exciting new projects for a later time. I am learning so much from you right now. <laughs> You're blowing my mind. Really? No, I think that what you just shared is incredible advice. I really did not realize how much of shiny object syndrome I had. And listening to you speak about how you have a really big picture idea of what it is you want to accomplish and the way you break things down and put things aside and prioritize things. My mind is really blown and I think I'm feeling resistance in myself talking to you because as a highly creative person, I live in my head. I come up with ideas. I execute the ideas that really I feel very strongly about and move me. And I think because of that, I think I can lack a lot of discipline in certain areas of my business with the consistency and the goal setting. Like, what advice do you have for people like me? Because I know I am not alone in feeling this way. Oh my gosh, yes, Grace, totally. And thank you for being honest and saying that you have resistance around that or like, oh, I don't know if that feels good to me. Like, that's so, so common. And so a few different things. The first question I'll ask you is, how has that been working for you? Have you been able to accomplish the things that really, really matter to your business? So notice how I'm saying to your business and not to you. Yeah. Because your business is a thing that will sustain you over time. It's your livelihood, right? And so serving the business and not necessarily serving ourselves. And so again, that's that, that could be a little controversial because we created these businesses to be outlets for us and to be the things that light us up and to have that creativity place for us in our lives. But at the end of the day, I'm thinking long-term. I'm thinking mm. what is going to help me have the business of my dreams so that at any given point, I can do whatever I want. That may not be the time right now. And so as we're focused on building our business and creating revenue, like I have a team, I have a podcast manager, I have a graphic designer, they need to get paid and I don't want to pay them from my corporate salary. I want to pay them from the business. And so that kind of aligns my priorities, but also not being super, super strict. And so sometimes I scratch that itch, right? Like when I was talking about the email marketing, I did buy on a woman email marketing course, right? And I did look at some of the videos, but I didn't dive right in. I didn't focus on, I didn't give it a lot of my attention. So it's not to say that you can't go into any new opportunity that you see or a new idea, but it's reminding yourself of what it's going to matter, right? My bottom line, the profit that I have, the bills that I have to pay in my business, my clients, what is going to be best for them? That is what's important. I have a ton of dreams. I want to have my own side hustle planner. I want to have a physical product. I want to do live events. And I already know the event space. Like I have it all mapped out in my mm. head. That is not a priority for me right now. I know I have quite a long way to go before I can make that dream really what it's supposed to be. I don't want to start something prematurely because then it won't have the energy, the audience, so many other factors that can go and really blow up that idea that I have. Like if I were to launch a and I'm really committed to the side hustle planner, like it is going to come. But if I launched it right now, it wouldn't have the same effect as if I launch it two years from now. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think everything you just said is so amazing. I can't wait to go back and listen to this conversation. <laughs> I just think that everything you're saying is so incredibly valuable and it is edifying me so much. And I really hope that it's edifying my listeners. I know this is because everything you're saying is so good, actionable stuff. And I love this idea of prioritizing. I said it before and I'll say it again. It's just the way that you... You have all your goals mapped out. You know you want to do the side hustle planner, which I have no doubt you're going to get it out there and it's going to be amazing, but you prioritize. So for you, you know, doing your course and selling out your program was the priority and you've done that and now you can move on to what that next thing is. So 
I'm really looking forward to actually taking the things that you have said on this show today and applying it to my own business because I'll be honest, I could really benefit from some of this very actionable, detailed goal setting stuff that you're discussing. So I'm so thankful for you just that you're so transparent about all this. Yes, yes. And these are things that I did not you know, just have at the top of my head, I had to learn this, I had to have some tough conversations with myself and realize like, hey, this is a business, right? Like this isn't I don't want this to be a hobby or something that I just do on the side forever. Like I need to have my business hat on. And that's what I always tell my clients, like, do you have your business hat on? Or do you have like your hobby hat on or your passion hat on? Mm. Or your uh, shiny object syndrome hat on? Or do you have your business hat on? That's always what I like to ask my clients. When you say business hat, I mean, that is directly linking to money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Gosh, this is really good. Well, I saw you say, I think it was on your podcast, maybe you had said that mindset work is the real reason why you're successful in your business. And you had said very early on in the conversation that resilience is so essential for entrepreneurs. Can we talk about mindset work for a second here? Of course, of course. First of all, what is the importance of mindset work? What is that? And why is it important? Oh my gosh. Where where do we where do we begin, Grace? <laughs> it's a big topic, I know. It is a big topic. <laughs> I think entrepreneurship is probably one of the most vulnerable things that anybody can do. We are creating these items, these products, these services straight from our hearts, right? Straight from us that we can't hide behind a company. We can't hide behind anything like it's if somebody doesn't like something, it could be seen as a reflection on us. Right. And so entrepreneurship is, I think, probably one of the most vulnerable things that somebody can do. And so you need to have some grit. You need to have trying to think of another word other than mindset. You need to have something to withstand and hold you up when things don't go the way that you want them to in business, which they often don't. That's where the mindset work comes in. Tapping into that your mind really is the only thing that you have control over. The way that you think about the business, the way that you think about your services or your products, the way you think about yourself as a business owner, that is really the only thing that we have control over. But really, it is the most important tool that we have as entrepreneurs, right? Our minds create new ideas. They they tell us to keep going when we want to quit, but we need to be taking care of that center, right? And there's a gazillion things that you can do to promote your mindset. But just to highlight on some very basic and elementary topics that I am still to this day working on myself, you always go back to the basics, would be tapping into gratitude And just also tapping into patience. And so with gratitude, I always give the story that gratitude signed my first client. Like tapping into gratitude was the way that I signed my very first client. And I'll share this very quickly. I was borderline begging for a client. I just wanted this whole business thing to work for me. I knew that it was possible. I had a business coach at the time. I was doing all the quote unquote right things. But I just realized some desperation in my messaging. I realized some desperation within myself and I just needed it. I wanted it to work. And I was just gripping so tightly on it that it wasn't coming to me energetically. The thing that I wanted, wasn't, I wasn't attracting that. And so I remember it so clearly. It was November two years ago. I had a photo shoot for some social media content and I paid her. She wasn't free, but I just said, you know what? I am so grateful that I have a little bit of money from my full-time job to pay this photographer. I got into my car. I don't drive the nicest car. I drive like a 2008 Nissan Sentra. And I hopped in my car and I said, I'm so grateful that my car is paid off and that I have gas to go home. I went home and I ordered some tacos and I said, I'm so grateful to have these tacos. And then I got on a call with my business coach and said, I'm so grateful to have uh, this conversation with my business coach. And then later that night, I got a message from somebody said, Hey, somebody referred me to you. I'm looking for a business coach for $1,500. Would you be interested? Heck yeah, I would be interested. (laughs) Um, And so that was such a pivotal moment in my life where I said, I need to be grateful for the things I have first before I ever call in more. And so just having that instance of being grateful, even when things weren't going right, like 
in this group program, I was at the halfway uh, mark for signing my 10 clients for weeks. But I was just saying, I'm grateful for my five clients who said they're going to work with me and so on and so forth. So just training your mind to be on the more positive end, to be on the more grateful end, to always align yourself back with what's important to you and your mindset can help you in times in business when things aren't going your way. Oh, gratitude is so important. I'm really, really glad you brought that up. I think it's really hard to get new things that you want in life if you cannot acknowledge the incredible abundance and all the stuff that you already have. So for you to be able to sit in your car and be thankful for your car and your coach and the photos, I mean, all of that, I think it's so important to be grateful for all the amazing things that we have currently to be able to bring in all the future things that we want. So thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's tons of different gratitude practices that you can do. You can do a gratitude meditation. If you just look them up on YouTube, you can write down 10 things you're grateful for every day. Lots of things to remind you of what you have. Yes. And then you said the second thing was patience, which I also think is so important. Yes. Patience is very, very important. I think patience is hard and it can be really, really hard again when you're not seeing the results that you want. And so I just um, actually finished hearing a talk from someone and just always reminding yourself of the little steps that you've gotten thus far, like looking back and saying, you know what, I I haven't gotten a sale from my Instagram yet. I've been posting consistently, but hey, three months ago, I didn't even have an Instagram Six months ago, I didn't even have a business concept. Just being grateful, again, tapping into gratitude. Gratitude is the center of a lot of things. Being grateful of the places where you are and just knowing that your breakthrough is coming, right? Your breakthrough is coming, so don't quit. Don't stop. You never know the day that you quit. The next day could have been the moment where you actually signed your first client or had your first sale on Etsy or what have you. And so withstanding and remembering the little steps that got you where you're supposed to be can be a game changer for your mindset. It is so true. And just remembering, like you said, things take time to build. We're not going to get instantaneous results. And you look online on social media and it seems that way, but oftentimes we're not getting the entire backstory. And that's why on my show, I really love it when my guests are sharing you know, the things that they've overcome and how long it took to get to the point that they're at now because they require so much patience. But as you were speaking, I thought of, but at what point do we know when it's okay to quit? Do you have any advice for that? Or what's what's your insight on that? When do you think people have done the work that they should do and they're not getting the results that they want and now they want to quit? How do you know when it's okay to quit? So let's talk about quitting. I would recommend pivoting the quitting. And here's why. When you quit, you just, you know, you stop. You don't you, you don't have a next step. You just stop doing what it is. But when you pivot, that means you change. So you're still in this entrepreneurial journey. You're still moving forward, but you're changing based off of what you're doing. And so I actually record, this is probably one of my most popular uh, podcast recordings is where I talk about the power of self-reflection. And mm-hmm. yes, and looking at what you're doing and saying, is it yielding the result that I want? It's always checking in and looking at your numbers. The numbers freak a lot of people out, but always looking at the back end. If you have a business Instagram, looking at the back end of your numbers is saying, okay, well, that post did more popular than that post. Looking at your Etsy analytics and saying, okay, well, that one, did, this item is doing better than that one. Maybe I need to be leaning towards this direction more. Talking with people and saying, well, a lot of people are excited about this photography package more than that one. And so all of those different little indicators can tell you what directions you need to be pivoting in and not just quitting. Another one would be the power of a coach. So getting some mm. expert opinions on where you are in your business or in your passion project, whatever it is, getting an outside perspective and saying, okay, well, I've been doing this for a while. It's not really catching on. Should I quit? Should I change? Should I move direction? Should I pivot? Can also be invaluable having a coach or a mentor. I love this idea of pivoting instead of quitting. That is such great advice. And I'm so glad you said that. I think the only reason why I have had 
the longevity of my career that I've had. I started in 2008. It's now 2019. That's a very long time. This is actually the longest job I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. And it's because I was always pivoting. So anytime I felt a little bit of dissatisfaction in what I was doing, rather than throwing it all away, I would pivot a little bit. So for my example, it was, you know, I started as a family pet photographer and I pivoted slightly to become a commercial and editorial photographer, right? And so I pivoted a little bit to do something else. So I'm constantly never burning what I did totally to the ground and starting over, which I think people do a lot. And that takes a lot of time to restart all over again from ground zero when you could leverage all the experience you had, all the stuff that you've done and pivot just a little bit and create something that's slightly different. So that's super awesome advice. Of course, of course. So my last question I want to ask you today is how do you want people to remember this episode with you? Oh my gosh, I don't think anyone has ever asked me that before. I love that question. (laughs) Oh, I hope that people can just realize that they're capable and that there is a possibility. I never in my million years of being 23 on this earth realized that I could have a own business and that I could manage a crazy demanding day job, but then also make a solid income part-time working with clients, doing work that I absolutely love. And then also just taking a chance just taking a complete chance on yourself, on your work, uh, and listening to people like Grace, listening to other podcasts, other mentors, and seeing that it truly is possible. I hope that's just the biggest takeaway, that there's so much out there, so many people that are rooting for you, so many ways that you can be successful doing something that absolutely you love. DL, I just want to thank you again for providing us with so much valuable wisdom it's it's been so enlightening for me. I know it's going to be enlightening for the listeners and I really thank you so much for sharing so generously and I am so appreciative that you are out there in the world guiding people and helping them and blessing them with this incredible knowledge that you have. And I also want to um ask you can you share what the name of your podcast is so people can tune in to all the other amazing value you have on there? Yes, it is Side Hustle with Soul. And so I'm on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher. Side hustle with soul. Thank you so much for your time today, DL. I am so thankful for you. Same here. Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show on iTunes and share it with a friend. Don't be shy. Reach out to me anytime online, and I will catch you next week on the next episode.